Pick up your paintbrush. It's time for Hobby Support Group. Hello, everyone. Tonight we're joined by a very special guest. We've got Peter from Bacchus joining us to chat all things 6mm. Hi, Peter. Hello. Nice to be here. First of all, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. We know how busy it is at Bacchus HQ, like pretty much all the time. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us tonight. You're most welcome. By the time this episode goes out, the listeners I would have heard an episode we're talking about um, playing with smaller scale miniatures. And, you know, our first, for Tom and I, our first thought when we thought someone to talk to about smaller scale was, of course, you. So that's why I wanted to get you on the show straight after the episode so we could have a conversation. Because obviously Bacchus is famous for, you know, six mil miniatures. Yeah, I think you're looking for the term infamous. Fame doesn't come easily to me. <laughs> so how how are things at Bacchus at the moment? I know um, during the last couple of years, it's been, you've been so popular, it's been hard to get an order in. Well, yes, I mean, we're obviously talking about the C word here, aren't we? Um, COVID, yes, is, is it, it caused one or two operational problems for us. Um, the biggest problem was during the, the start of the whole shebang back in 2020, the whole world went on furlough. The whole world stopped working. That's right. And that left thousands of very bored wargamers with time on their hands all over the world. And, yeah, I can see two hands raised here. <laughs> and uh, their first thoughts were, well, let's get painting. <laughs> and that sounds very, very good. So demand for what we produce went up, as I think it did for all the guys making mm-hmm. toy soldiers. The problem was, was that we were also on the other end of this furlough business, so instead of having a team of casters beavering away, working on all these orders, there was just me. And uh, uh, honourable mention here must go to my other half, Lindy, my fiance Lindy, uh, who came in to do the admin work. And uh, Ben, my little boy, because he came in and he did his homeschooling effectively from our office. And that was it. So our, our ability to produce dropped through the floor while demand for what we produced went through the roof. Uh, and that's what caused an awful lot of these, these supply issues. We we would open the shopping cart and it would be jumped on in a feeding frenzy of desperate wargamers. And we'd get so many orders that we had to close it again because we couldn't possibly carry on taking them. And this cycle of stop start went on for pretty much all of 2020. Uh, and as a result, we were actually only open 11 days for business out the entire year. <laughs> which is a crazy state of affairs. Uh, now, it sounds wonderful, you know, all the business coming in. In actual fact, our turnover dropped quite dramatically. Oh. Uh, but we we just couldn't handle the volume of orders. It was just impossible to do so. And I wasn't going to put a position whereby we'd be taking more work than we could really handle. Yeah. And nor could I, in all honesty, bring extra staff in because of the COVID regulations. Uh I couldn't even call it a party. <laughs> a bit topical there, but... <clears throat> Too topical. <laughs> yes, yeah, a bit of cheese and wine and cast a few figures while you're here. No. <laughs> it, 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 it was just a difficult situation. Um, and we came out of that effectively by gradually adding more staff during 2021, putting on, the, on what people could order so we could work through the backlog and produce a reasonable time and manage people's expectations. To the point now where for the past three months, really, we've been back 
pretty much at full rage production. Uh, and indeed, we've got an extra caster, so we now have four machines working. Whereas this time two years ago, we had one. Mm. So there's the difference. Uh, but we're still pulling out of a, a big backlog. You know, it, it, it is a, a you cannot underestimate the size of the uh, issue that we've had to deal with. And we were only really just coming out of it now. I know me and Tom have discussed amongst ourselves previously how much we respected you for your honesty um, about the situation. And there's, you'd send the update saying we're up to order number, whatever it might be. And just to turn around and say, look, I'm not going to take your money when I can't fulfill it. I'm going to let you know when you can get what you want. Um, I mean, there are other companies out there that I know were just have taken the money and, and you were, I think that builds a lot of trust and a lot of respect in the community. So a uh, uh, round of applause from me for being for great customer service. Well, thank you. But um, the way I've always looked at this, the way we do everything in the company, this is what we tell to new employees as well. Always treat a customer as you would wish to be treated yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a very simple rule. And that's pretty much how we've done it. Yeah. Um, if people didn't want to wait and they wanted to cancel their order, that's fine. We yeah. we no no quibbles, no problems with that. Most people were quite, in fact, the overwhelming number of people were quite happy to wait and understand what it was. It was, yeah, it, it was a really good time in the fact that the feedback we got from our customer base was magnificent. People were understanding, people were patient, yeah. and on a more serious note. I, I, an awful lot of feedback came from people saying that a supply of figures to paint a project, it basically kept them sane. Yeah. During what was a, a very difficult period for many, many people. Oh, yeah, definitely. And if, if we were helping a little bit towards that, even a little bit, then that, that's another worthwhile thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to break that. We make toy soldiers. <laughs> yeah. That's the beginning and the end of it all. But it's nice to think you're actually contributing something towards people as well. Here we are today, early 2022, and people are actually wanting to, maybe someone starting a new project or wanting to put an order in. What is sort of the best way for them to go around at the moment to sort of, you know, if they've got quite a big order to put it all in in one go or spread it out over several months over some smaller orders? As far as the customer's concerned, um, I'm only going to go personal thing. If I was to buy three, four hundred pounds worth of figures at one go, I'd look at that little lump arriving on the desk and I'd just tear my hair out in despair. Um, so from a personal point of view, I would be ordering it in smaller lumps, getting half of it, three quarters of it painted and ordering the next lot. Uh, operationally for us, that works better because we are then able to get your little bit done and then make sure that we've got somebody else's done and you aren't hogging a caster's time for a day. And I know then that you don't have to put an order in for another six months or a year because you've got a lot to paint. Uh, but it means that the our ability to spread our time out amongst our lo- fairly large customer base uh, works better for us. So, yes, smaller orders more often will, will be the better way of doing it. But it doesn't suit everybody. It really does not suit everybody. So we will take people as they come. Yeah. I know we have some listeners who are sort of, you know, right out in the middle of nowhere australia and so yes. that's sort of thing for you you know ordering those you know 24 units of imperial guard or something might not necessarily be the best for them but yeah postage eh? <laughs> yeah i mean it, it is a factor it's postage 
well, I can't say they go down because we work in a flat rate. But for example, we, we are sending, I mean, if a guy buys a packet of bases from us, which does happen, a single packet basis costing three pounds, he can be paying two and a half times that in postage cost to get it sent to the USA. So it's, it's obviously not in anybody's interest to be ordering a single packet and having very high upfront postal costs. Uh, so yeah, uh, 50 quid upwards and suddenly yes, it becomes a cost effective for both sides. But uh, we don't find it cost effective, for example, to send that single pack like that because our upfront postal costs uh, are loaded against us at the smaller end of the scale. So we actually lose money on overseas orders that are very, very small. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we, we spread it out across the range of, of average order. That's how we base the, the, the pricing. I don't think any of that made sense, actually, <laughs> reading it back <laughs> in my mind. It says to me, it's all yeah. good. <laughs> I mean, we, we chatted a little about, about what happened over the last two years, but um, what's happening in the future there? I mean, you've just had, um, I say just, Pony Wars is on oh, the game. Yes. I mean, that was sort of hushed and older gamers that I knew hushed and talking and whispering tones about, you know, this legendary game. And now it's out there and it seems like everyone's uh, really enjoying it and buying up all the minis. Has that been as big a success as I imagine it's been? Um, yeah, it's taken us completely aback by how successful it has been. Um, if anybody knows the history of this, this is a very personal project to me. Uh, basically, Ian, who wrote the rules, uh, was, was a very, very great friend. Uh, back in my late teens and early 20s. Um, really, really tragically, he, he was killed in a car crash. But this rule set just would not die. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been out of print for the best part of three decades. And the demand for it and the goodwill towards it is, is still there. We've been trying to get it published for a long, long time. Uh, and there have been various technical and legal issues in the way. Uh, and COVID didn't help because, strange enough, um, COVID delayed the the work towards getting it done probably by 18 months, really. And, uh, yeah, we've we produced the Pony Wars rules and we wanted a, a really nice, high quality set of rules to reflect, you know, what we thought the rules were worth. The backing was immense um, and the reception has been amazing. People have loved what we've done with them, which is just basically bringing them up to modern production standards, produce a really nice set of cards, have them illustrated with pictures from various ranges, various scales, because uh, it was never a backers project. It, it was a project with myself uh, and the other two surviving members of the group uh, to actually get this thing into production. And again the emails people saying oh they can remember playing the game back in the 80s they've played it since then they've lost the sets of rules and they're absolutely blown away by what we've done with this and this is from all over the world we're selling these as you'd expect in the uk and the us they're going to all over europe so i'm going to russia australia canada hong kong uh it, it's it's just gone all over the world and it's just blown up beyond anything we'd expected so that part of it was was amazing that was gratifying that's great but alongside that we produced a range well sorry i produced a range which i wanted for me for my pony wars set Let, let's great. be right about this is this is a vanity project for me as well um hey i can can't i that's my prerogative 
Absolutely. And one or two other people decided they wanted to join in. And it has been, oh, yeah, a, a crazy ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have sold so many damned Indians <laughs> uh, and, and Lone Rangers and wagon trains and, and the whole the whole thing. Uh, that must be wonderful. Oh, it is. It's 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 gratifying. It's hard work. I mean, I, I take the, the stuff down to the castles in the morning and I say, who wants Pony Wars? And there's not a shuffling silence because <laughs> they're all fed up with casting the damn things. Yeah. But it's it's succeeded beyond our wildest dreams. And I, I never thought anybody would be mad enough to want to collect the full Pony Wars setup. And I underestimated the War Games community. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, great. And have either of you two succumbed? Not yet. Yet. Thank you. I picked <laughs> I picked up from you at Salute the American War of Independence, and I've got a copy of um, Ruse de Guerre, the yeah. Polymos. So this year's six mil project is going to be getting those um, AWI stuff painted up, and that's going to be my – well, I've got some Carthaginians from you and some Prussians from you as well. So there's other six mil projects. I've still got – they might get done as well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you're showing your true wargamer credentials <laughs> but you know um you know if i get all my other projects done i mean i would li- i'm i would like to play pony wars i can't deny that you know i as 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 a kid growing up as we called it then we called it cowboys and indians obviously you know and i like westerns and you know it would does it does interest me to have a look at that and and maybe in the future play a few games but how about you tom i think it's something i could possibly be tempted to get into once I've cleared the you know the backlog of you know the pile of opportunity backlog projects uh, you got too many French you want too many French at salute off you Peter I've, I've, I've painted all them now it's not like a, it, it's now when you, it's, it's when you start doing do I do a one-for-one Imperial Guard army to go for it and it's then like do I need the 10 brigades here and the 8 brigades there? Or do I need 18 brigades so they can both be on the table at the same time? Opposite ends. That's the, the wormhole I like falling down. Yeah, you two are throwing your shoe. True wargamer <laughs> credentials. Um, well, look, I can tempt both of you. Uh, Hammerhead this year, we are taking along the original Pony Wars game, the 1980s one that started this all off. It's still all there. It appeared in a video I did for YouTube. And we're taking the game down. So you can go along and play it. Yeah. The first time it's been taken out in public for the best part of 40 years. I mean, and I know because of the correspondence I've had on this that we are going to be throwing people off the game all day. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Do you think with the success that you've had with Pony Wars, do you think some, uh, are you looking at any more of the sort of like evergreen rule sets that have been out of print for, you know, as old no. as I am? Not really. I mean, um, Pony Wars is such a one-off. It's such a phenomenon. It, it was such a different sort of game when it came out. The, the 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 whole premise of the game, the instant accessibility of it, you know, Cowboys and Indians, um, it, it is a one-off. And I, I, I have no real appetite for doing any more of this. I mean, it, we, as a group did some more demo games, we did uh, participation games, we did uh, some gladiatorial combat, and we had an absolute magnificent chariot racing game. Now, I could have a go at doing those. Uh, Certainly chariot racing would be 
quite a nice thing to do in six mil because you could get a decent sized chariot track. The, the original was 30 feet long and eight feet wide. Uh, so uh, we played with 54 millimeter chariots. Uh, yeah, when we did something, we did it big in those days. <laughs> that would work very nicely in six mil. But I, again, I, it's not something I've really got uh, a great desire to do at the moment. Pony Wars, I think, will stand by itself. And uh, I, I think I'll leave it there. So, um, have you got anything in the pipeline? Anything that's coming out soon? Anything you want to let us know? Any um, secret projects, or is everything else just keeping you just just too busy? Well, eh, nothing secret. I, I don't know if you know, but every year I do a serialised work of fiction, which is my annual update on. Oh yes. What we didn't, <laughs> what we didn't do last year. And what we might possibly do next year, if you're an optimist. <laughs> I did. I did read that. I did enjoy going through and seeing what, which ones you managed to get done and which ones didn't yeah. appear. <laughs> yeah, so, some years are better than others. <laughs> but you know, as somebody once said, it's the hope that gets you in the end. Um, so yeah, I pretty much laid out what I'd like to do. Uh, we, we've got lots more Pony War stuff coming through, and. I think most of that's actually going to happen. I've got some very interesting new releases lined up in the next month or so. Uh, but I really want to add a, a railway construction gang for a little railway set, because that's, that's gorgeous, a little train set. And uh, I want to do some robbers and add a couple of scenarios to the basic game. So we've got the train robbers. So when the train comes on, it goes steaming through. You're going to have to have the hole in the head gang. We'll come up from one side of the table to try and rob the train. And you have the you Lone Ranger running down the top of the train. You have the people running on oh, top of the train. Absolutely. You've, you've got the hang of this genre. Yeah, there, there's going to be some... And at the train, we'll be driven by Casey Jones. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll I can hear the William Tell Overture playing somewhere in the distance. <laughs> yes. Uh, so th there's that sort of thing which I want to do. A lot of that will depend upon how much time I get away from just keeping the orders going to actually do yeah. some development because there is quite a lot of leading time which requires uh, investment in, uh, in in time. So that's one thing I would like to do. Um, we have an ongoing project of uh, bringing some older ranges up to scratch and at the moment we're working mm -hmm. on our Great North War range, yeah. uh, which strange enough is another one of my vanity projects because it's a period that's always fascinated me and when Nobody else would make the range. I decided to do it myself. Yep. One of the founding reasons for doing backers, believe it or not. Uh, <clears throat> so we've, we've got 20-year-old sculpts in the range, which I did a long time ago. We now work with better sculptors than I ever was. And uh, we have the services of a master mould maker, which I never was. Mm -hmm. And we're refurbishing the ranges. So we've just about finished the Swedes, which are magnificent and selling very nicely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're now going on to the Russians and we're going to be doing Poles a bit later in the year. And if all goes well, uh, some more Turks for our Ottoman range. Mm -hmm. So that's an ongoing project. That's probably going to take another 18 months. I think it will pan out into uh, into 23. Uh, I've got a couple of secret sideline projects which may or may not go ahead in the Ancients ranges. Uh, which I'm not going to tell you about because I'll embarrass myself if they don't happen. I can see Tom's ears were perking up at talk of ancients there. He loves an ancient, yes. don't you? 
if you listen very carefully, you might hear the little rumble, rumble, rumble of chariot wheels. It's 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 no secret to to listeners on this broadcast that I uh, very much enjoy cavalry armies and have a soft spot for chariots. Uh, it was it was the re- chariots was the reason why I jumped into smaller scale stuff in the first place because I realised I didn't have enough organs to sell for all the twenty eight <laughs> mil chariots that I want to field. Yeah, good good man. But a chariot armies in six mil are just awesome. <laughs> Uh, we just had an order the day. One guy's just ordered 120 Hittite chariots. That is going to be that's one nice. hell of an army. <laughs> the thing is, that, that gets me excited. I want to see that. I want to see that on the table. If uh, like, I don't necessarily want to play with it, but maybe just like face it, just like to see it all done. It just that just sounds great. Well, he's already got the Egyptians. He sent me some photographs of them and that just lined up on the tra- on the trays. That just looks like unstoppable mm-hmm. so uh, he's going to have to get a Hittite force to match that and I think he's got <laughs> it in the metal so yeah yes. that's going to be amazing uh, he might send you an email in a year's time and say that's not the entire Egyptian army that's just like the raw division no, I, want the other, <laughs> I want the other three divisions now please yeah once again you prove your credentials as a man with ambition <laughs> uh, we in, in that, when we were really we were talking uh, when we recorded our latest episode about the, the possibility of six mil. It does make that thing of do you want a, a manipulative legion on a one to one basis? You can do it and you can think I can get this painted in a couple of months. It isn't. Yeah. It, it's doable. Um, yeah, sure. it, it, it is. But uh, it really comes into its own. Again, to come back to it saying when you do things like chariots, the cost of a even a 15 mil chariot of minor 28 is, is quite prohibitive if you want mm. to get a decent number. And the tabletop footprint of that model is immense as proportionate table size. So in a space where you can field, let's say, four big scale chariots, you can put 20 small scale ones. Yeah. Um, and that makes a, a huge difference in the way you play the battle and also again there's just a sheer physical um visual appearance of uh, a chariot unit it, it's not you know three or four vehicles going on a little ramble it's like something nasty mm-hmm. and it well, looks nasty yeah we always like to use the example of like how some games will have a phalanx which is like four men wide yes it's like, <laughs> this, this is this is four traps on the base there your phalanx it's like yeah. It's not really a phalanx, is it? It's... No, I didn't. Well, I, I it's think... my, my off-use quote, off quote is, um, it hits, that's not a battalion, that's a group of men taking a flag for a walk. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I think this is actually kind of almost like we planned it, but we didn't, folks at home. Uh, led us quite nicely into the, the next thing I wanted to talk about, because we just recorded this episode, which the, the folks at home will have just heard, um, where we discussed the many positives. Uh, and a couple of things um, within 6mm gaming that you know opens up um, and we felt some of the positives were obviously, you know, the cost um, and the storage, transport uh, and painting. And I just wondered if, if do you agree with, you know, are there any positives we've missed? Do you, do you, would you agree that those are that the main positives from Six Mill Gaming? I, I would say so. I mean, I think you've hit the, the four main ones. Um, the one which I think comes as a surprise to people who aren't used to six mil is the painting side, because yeah. as you two know, it's actually incredibly easier to do than you might think. And it's far more forgiving of poor mm-hmm. painting than the bigger scales. So for somebody who turns around to me and says, 
you know, six mil, I can't even paint 28. Well, no, you can't because they're bloody awful things to paint. And if you don't do it well, it looks awful. If you do six, just the sheer number of figures you do negates that problem about them not being painted particularly well because it's the it's a spectacle of the numbers that actually gives you the visual impact. Um, <clears throat> but I would add perhaps a couple more points to that. Uh, and, and these are more wargamery points. The first is the smaller footprint of your army on a war games table changes the way you play. Uh, you both must have used, you may be even participating in games where you get two 28 mil armies and there's just a whole curtain of troops from table edge to table edge. And your tactical decisions are basically, do I go forward six inches this move or forward four inches? Absolutely, yeah. We yeah, played a, a game of pike and shot just before Christmas, which we had, a, I think it was an 18 foot long table. Yep. And we had so many troops Basically, most of them couldn't, at least probably half of them couldn't actually fit on the table because we had nowhere to deploy them yeah. or, or move them on. We, we ran out of room with like 36 feet of board edge. Yeah, you will do. I mean, I've seen so many Napoleonic games, you know, where people have got, oh, well, we'll do it battalion for battalion. And all you end up with is a traffic jam. Uh, people, again, it's, it's prevalent in the larger scales, 15 as well as 28. No, I don't use limbers. Um, it's a waste of money and they take up too much room on the table. Mm. Well, yeah, but in six, actually, your limbers can be deployed. It looks better. And also it manages to depict the fact that behind an, an artillery battery is quite a large beaten zone of material and equipment that needs to be taken into account when you play a game. Yeah. That was a tangent. So well done, you got me on that one. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I would agree with you there because I've I've played games and you know you have you can outflank in the game. That just means coming on from the side of the board. But when you're playing in six mil, you can literally send units off and, and do an outflank. Yep, you end up with hanging flanks, and the 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 look of horror on a guy who's not used to this when suddenly being presented with these wide open spaces which he cannot possibly defend. And having to work with an open flank and the sweat pouring off the, you know, they can't do what they're used to doing. Yeah. But on the other side of it, suddenly deploying in depth and having a reserve becomes a useful option because yeah. you have the depth, which comes down to the tabletop footprint of your unit. If you take a look at the percentage area that's of a 28 mil army that it takes up on a six by four table, it's massive. I had, a, I had a building or two. Again, that that takes off a, a big, big percentage of your playable area. And you end up with what we've been talking about, which is just nowhere to go and nothing to do. Mm. The smaller scale means you can deploy in depth because you're not taking up all the room and the depth of these big figures or on the artillery pieces or the chariots. Uh, and you've got room to manoeuvre within that depth. And again, you've got to cope with the hanging flanks. So it changes the way you play your game and to be honest i think it's a greater test of generalship than line them up and move them forward yeah no i've, I've definitely found that to be true it is having that second rank of like reserves to then move up and fill the gaps that naturally happen it's a much more for certainly for the, the sort of rank and flank you know battles ancient saw you know spearmen or whatever it might be it's a lot more uh, I mean, I wasn't there personally, so I don't know how realistic it is, but I believe it feels more realistic. Yeah. 
Um, it, it it makes sense of all these formations where you see they're going in two lines, and then there's a third line, we say with the general's bodyguard or or this cavalry just put between. It suddenly makes sense, and it's something you find, depending on the rules, of course, that you can actually do and use yourself. So I think it's far more informative in terms of how battles were fought. I think uh, also, with, with just with that regard, like scale on the tabletop as well, though, it also makes ranges make a lot more sense. <laughs> yes. I know, sort of like, there's the, you know, there's the trope that's sort of like 28 mil, you know, a 28 mil figure up on Pegasus Bridge. Most game systems can't shoot from one end of the bridge to the other. <laughs> Defend it with this SMG, but I can't get to the other side of the river. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was coming to the range, but yeah, absolutely spot on. And let, let's put it the other way around. In um, Ancients, in 28mm, you will see, oh, and throw javelins four inches, which you'll take a look at the size of the figure, and people go, yeah, that's about right. But then you take it down to the ground scale, and they are wanging these things, like, miles further than the Olympic javelin throw could ever manage, because the range is completely distorted by reference to the height of the figure. And the height of the figure is way out of kilter with the ground scale. That's why you end up, with say, with these things with um, uh, not being able to fire across uh, a range, which would be perfectly reasonable. And you also get the very strange phenomenon of, especially in World War Two games, vehicles and equipment appearing in conditions in which they wouldn't appear at all because war gamers want them on the table. And totally inappropriate. I mean... Why do you need big, heavy tanks and more than one in a game of all action? Uh, Flames of War. How many people have actually seen the tank park of axle to axle uh, Shermans? Everybody's seen that. It's accepted in the game, but it's because the, the ground scale is out of whack uh, with the figure scale. And therefore that affects the rangers and the way the troops are deployed. It looks a lot. Flames of War plays a damn sight better in six than it does in fifteen. I think it, in bolt action you've got things like the heavy howitzers and ordnance, like ordnance batteries and stuff, having you next to dudes with yes. pistols and SMGs. Like something has terribly gone wrong. If, you know, yeah, the, I mean, around used, the heavy howitzers. Yeah. I've used this analogy before in a, in a, or it's a before in another podcast, but it bears repeating. A few years ago, I saw on, I think it might be in the miniatures page, somebody had released a World War One British 8-inch howitzer. And I'm going, in 28 mil. I'm thinking, why? Honestly, we do these in six, and you can't deploy them on the table because they're, they're miles behind the front line. So in a 28 mil game, this thing is going to be, you know, half a street away from the table to have a realistic yeah, but- range. You see, that model was released for people like me who buys it to then puts it in their home guard army for bolt action. And because it's, it's granddad and Uncle Jim have remembered how to man it in the last war. To, to, got it to out play, again. To play devil's advocate, it could be for people who are painting dioramas. I will give you that. I will give you that. Um, but it shouldn't be on the board in a war game. No. <laughs> Unless no. it's like, unless you're playing in the square and it's all painted white as like a monument or something. It's the yeah. Great War. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I can say okay, it might be an attack upon a pre- prepared position, but First World War, it's it, these things are a long, long way behind. You know, it, no, no, it, it doesn't make sense. Mostly, it doesn't make sense anyway. Uh, you might want to use it as a bombing raid, but then you're playing an aerial game. It's just a bit of 
very expensive scenery. Um, talking about World War Two and playing it in smaller scales, you mm. I've noticed that you're sort of expanding the range of your World War Two stuff more for some of the options that people need for playing O group. Have yes, you, you've been playing. Do you, do you play a group yourself in six? <clears throat> I'm trying to. Um, time, however, is <laughs> not on my side with these things. Um, I, I don't get down to the local war game society. Haven't done for a while. Um, uh, I used. I've been down, but what happens is, I go down to play a game and I spend the entire evening answering questions about backers, which, which makes it a bit of a busman's holiday, really. So uh, I'll stop doing that. However, my little boy, oh, my big boy now, is is definitely showing interest in toy soldiers. So I'm going to be starting um, pushing him down the slippery slope. And uh, yeah, I want to start playing with the World War Two toys because I've spent a long time getting them into production and they are really quite cute. Uh, and O Group is uh, the rules. I mean, we have two World War Two gamers who's part of the team and, and they are really raving about how good they are. Um, it's a two fat lardies thing, so we, even without opening the cover, you knew it would be quality. But yeah, um, we assessed, we took about three different rule sets working on the same sort of level before we decided to pro group, and I'm very glad we did. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, other people appreciate it. The O group packs are selling very well indeed. Yeah. People yeah. like the, the way we've done them, because I don't know if you appreciate this, but they're modular. You, you can get an infantry company, and then you can add the transport echelon. And especially for the Germans, you can use a Panzer Grenadier company, or you might want to actually make it an armoured Panzer Grenadier company. So you can just add the bits and pieces that you need around the basic infantry companies to suit the sort of game you want to play. Um, we'll shortly be producing, okay, technically they're not really suitable for a group, but on the same scale, uh, AFV units. So you'll be able to get tanked um, squadrons, really coming through on that sort of basis so there's a lot more to come in that sort of format we're, uh, we're we're very taken with it and having had the initial response being so positive it's something we will be pushing ahead quite strongly especially when we get the americans and soviets into production which i hope will be later this year we're we making a note of those then for 2023 yeah <laughs> yeah but we've we've we're a long way advanced with both of them um, but what I want to do is rather than do what we've done with the Brits and the Germans today, which is to bring the stuff out in penny packets, they're actually quite compact ranges, both of them. Uh, so the Americans will probably come out in one big splurge. We've already got the infantry and support weapons out, but the artillery just about done. Um, the AFVs are just about done. And then there's myriad half tracks. A lot of the stuff we've already got because we've got it done with the British. So they'll be coming out as a big release, one big lump. And the Soviets, again, very similar process. Um, <laughs> thankfully, uh, apart from the Middle East stuff, a very limited range of equipment. Uh, and again, one big release. So I'm hoping to have that out by the end of the year. Do you have to sculpt just one rifle on every other guy? Is that how it works for the Russians, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we were talking about this um, <laughs> Uh, we're just getting uh, some anti-tank guns done for the for the Russians, and uh, uh, so the, the the conversation went. What we need to do is to produce twenty figures in this pack, but only two of them have got the anti-tank gun and the ammunition. Yeah, and they just go ahead in pairs until eventually one of them gets a chance to pick it up from the guys in the front who've already been shot. 
to the uh, have to do a, if if we if we can wish list models that come out with it. Do the uh, horse, the, the cavalry mounted anti tank rifle, <laughs> yes. which is the uh, in true Soviet fashion. The uh, there's a pair of them, but one guy has to lay on the floor so the guy can stand on him so he can actually sight the rifle. <laughs> if you don't have time to dig the small trench to put the horse in, yes, the horse in the trench. Oh. Uh, the the, so, the guy who's actually doing the sculpting for me, the Russians, is Russian, and he keeps on coming up with all sorts of ideas for stuff I should be doing. <laughs> Having to just curb his enthusiasm a little bit because there are some very strange things to come. Something that sometimes gets brought up when we talk to other hobbyists about six mil is the the fact that because your figures or the figures are already cast, you know, you haven't got any real opportunity for sort of customizing them kit bashing anything like that other than sort of a paint job how you paint them really but you just also today you know you've got possibly some weird and wonderful stuff coming out for the soviets and do you think there is would you say if people are a bit reticent to jump into six mil because they think they're going to miss that aspect of the hobby they can find it in different ways okay um interesting question um i, I could see that i mean six mil has got massive advantages but there are some things it's not good at, and I'll, I'll admit that. Okay, um, I'm, I'm not so blind <laughs> to things. Conversion, I think, is limited. Uh, to some extent, it's limited by your skill, uh, because pretty much any conversion is going to require a little bit of sculpting. Uh, now, to to my generation of war gamers who basically had to work with Airfix and nothing else. Um, that isn't really daunting, but there's been a lot of people in generations since then who've not really had that experience or that need to do that amount of conversion work or kit bashing, as you put it. Um, no, I, I think six has got limited options there, and I'll be the first to admit that. I have, however, seen people do wonderful things or very strange things to get the figures they want using ours as a basis. Um, there's a guy doing a whole load of uh, French revolutionary stuff using our figures as a basis, and he's, he's taking figures from American War of Independence range, from the Seven Years' War range, adding a bit of money, put here, filing something off there, and putting it in. Uh, but I would say it's the exception on the rule. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I'm going to concede the point. It's, it's not the best for conversion for single figures. It's not that sort of a scale. No. no agreed. Agreed. You, I think you're better off finding something that's similar in the range and then painting it how you want it to be because, you know, if it's a, a minor difference in, you know, the piping on the on the jacket or a button, or, you're not going to see it. Well, okay, let's give let's give the positive. Six mil is brilliant for conversion by paintbrush. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you can pretty much find anything you want from one range or another, which is a proxy by just painting it a different colour. Uh, and I think that that's especially true in ancients, for example, um, where our, for example, our Greek siloi, which is basically just guys in a tunic with a bow or a javelin or a shield, served through about several hundred years of history in different armies. Nobody bats an eyelid because they will work right across different uh, nationalities and, and, and eras. Um, our French Napoleonic line infantry, for example, can be painted as French, Neapolitan, Italian, uh, Polish, just by changing the uniform, 
you don't need to produce specific figures for that. Uh, and the uniform differences between any of those is so minor in this scale, it's 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 not worth bothering with. So conversion by paintbrushes is, is the, I think it's pretty much accepted way of doing it in six. Mm -hmm. it's, it's it's such, it allows you to sort of paint up. You know, I've just painted, finished painting quite a, a decent sized French army and just painting the different units up and just how radically you can make the same figures look with just different paint and go, oh, these have got blue jackets, these have got the green jackets, these have got the dark green jackets, these you go and then you look through them and you go, oh, that dude I've painted a bazaar as a curacer. I didn't notice when I was painting them. You can't really tell. No. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell, Tom, and everyone else can. <laughs> so he's, he's undercover. The, the, what, the only other piece of, of criticism I've ever heard, and let's say it's not really criticism, um, of six mil, was that it was not suitable for skirmish games. For that sort of like frost gray, we only have 10 models. Um, and I really feel that's just a, a misapplication of the scale when you know, it really serves itself well when you're looking at a big sweeping vista of like units of men sweeping across the table. You don't really need a small little guy when you're running around the frozen city with like a wizard and, and nine of his mates, you know. I think 28 mil, yeah, that does lend itself better to that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that yourself, Peter. Um, I, I do. Um, I, I've always been an advocate that the smaller the game, the larger the figure, the larger the game, the smaller the figure. There's a, there's a sliding scale. I mean, I, I've, I've got English Civil War 28 mil figures for skirmish gaming. Um, that's fine. I mean, I originally started with 54 millimetre figures. <laughs> Western gunfights, which were a who. Um, and up until a few years ago, I would have gone, yeah, you don't don't bother with six mil for skirmish because it's it's not usually the wrong tool for the job. Uh, just as trying to do Waterloo in 28 mil is usually the wrong tool to do that job. Yeah. So trying to do a skirmish around La Haye-Saint with 15 figures aside is six mils the wrong uh, tool for that job. Then um, I saw a game which was put on at the Joy of Six about four years ago by a chap called Per Broden. I'm sure you both have heard uh, Per Broden. Yeah. Yeah, some, uh, and the guy thinks out of the box. He's, he's a wonderful guy, he really is. Um, and he did Saga, which, as you know, is a one-to-one 28-mil um, Dark Ages skirmish mm -hmm. game. Yeah. And he did it by taking one... 28 mil figure and then replacing it with a number i think about four six mil figures so you've got to be umph on the base and suddenly this warband instead of being six figures looked like 24 30 figures and it looked right yeah but you played the game you played the game straight so he'd replaced the one single figure with these figures and then he had a four three two one system of basically if you took a casualty or he took a hit on your single 28 mil figure you replaced the four base with a three base and that worked really well the game played well it looked tremendous and it pretty much opened my eyes to another way of doing it wouldn't work in every circumstance because no. you mentioned frostgrave frostgrave is basically a it's semi-role-playing game, so you, you will need your figure to be exactly as your figure is, and you need what you see is what you get. Mm -hmm. Wasn't as essential for the game that uh, Poe was playing, but it, it did open my eyes to the possibilities 
of using a, an alternative way of actually depicting the game. So that's one where I'd say, yes, you can do skirmish gaming. And the other is something which has come up while I've been doing Pony Wars. Pony Wars is effectively a giant skirmish game with 700 figures, uh, which sounds a contradiction in terms. But you have single figures in there, like the off-mentioned Lone Ranger or the Pony Express guy. And you've got to be able to identify these guys, and they have a specific role. And I've had to produce these guys in six. Now, with the guys I've got sculpting, we can do this. We've got beautiful, characterful figures. And yeah, it's a giant skirmish game, and it works. Um, the limited number of individual figures we need for it can be identified, can be used, and can be played with. So I think if you treat skirmish gaming or Pony Wars as part of the skirmish gaming genre, there's another example of how it can be done. And incidentally, John Wayne appears three times in our range. <laughs> Two mounted and one on foot, and he's identified in every single case. We have sculptors who are that good. Oh, wow. Now, I think the idea of playing something like Saga in Six Small makes perfect sense, because you think, actually, you know, you've got, you know, more than 30 bodge, you've got a Dark Age army, technically. Yeah. So. Well, like and, uh, there are photos on around various social media sites and hopefully when I get the new Joysticks website to put photographs of that game because uh, I'm doing photos of past shows and have a look at it it, yeah. it, it works tremendously well I know that me and Tom had suggested that uh, the old issue of the four guys doing the phalanx you know if you were to have multiple guys on a base then when you bring those four guys suddenly instead of four guys you've got what 20 guys or whatever it might be and then suddenly your four man phalanx is actually you know actually a phalanx rather than yeah. four guys having a well, brawl also for like a, a relatively new game something like infamy infamy you know yes. rather than having units of 12 putting half a dozen guys in a base and all of a sudden having units like nearly 60 makes those you know 40 figure armies a couple of hundred dudes it's people are way ahead of you it's already being done now some of my customers are already doing that <laughs> Late to the party. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. Do keep up that, man. Do keep up. You can still put your order in, Tom. Don't worry. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't think I'll be doing the uh, Ancient Britain Shields in 6 mil. I think think those checks might be beyond my They're easy. They're easy. It's it's down to technique. I can teach you. Don't worry. I'll email you after this. Yeah. What's it like? (laughs) If you you could teach me how to uh, paint 6 mil tartan, I will... uh, Buy you a beverage of your choice, Peter. I can. I can. And there's a very easy way to do six mil tartan because I get asked this a lot. Don't. Just paint a block colour and tell people it's tartan. And they go, oh, yeah, you've done a good job on that. Um, <laughs> if you go on the back of site, we've got Highlanders in our English Civil War range. We've got Highlanders sitting upon it range. And there's not a single tartan in any of them. And nobody said a thing about it. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> whenever I, I I would tell the listeners that whenever I'm painting anything, uh, the backers website is always on my phone as my reference when I'm on my painting table. How do I paint these? Look at the photos, follow them because it's just I haven't yet found a colour scheme like a, a paint job that I'm not able to recreate at least to some degree, and I'm not yeah. a brilliant painter. So just, you know, props yeah, for the, the photographs on the website being oh, really cool. useful. 
Well, thank you for that. But I'm a complete tart when it comes to painting. I don't bother about whether it's the accurate colour or not. If this guy's got to be blue, it's blue and it's nearest blue I've got to hand. So <laughs> it's a blind leading the blind there, I'm afraid. Well, it's, it's, it's you know, there's so many World War Two gamers who go and think, well, that's the colour it's painted at Bovington. So that's how I'm painting it. So, yeah. Yeah. There isn't a colour dye that survives contact with nature. Yeah. And uh, I think we all have to just live with that one. I certainly do. That's my excuse and I'm sticking to it. So, so Peter, what periods of history do you feel um, really lend themselves best to six millimetre gaming? OK, I'll put my backers hat on. That's everything. OK, next question. <laughs> But if someone was to push you to give just a handful of examples. <laughs> well, I'm going to start with my fir my first two loves, which is English of War, as I've already touched, because, you know, you can get the big units. So you've actually got a body of pike, especially if you do the big bases, like, like you, people might have seen on a display stand. Um, I'm going to stop you there, Peter, because I want to say how amazing that that we would we, we gushed over that, that, that salute when me and Tom saw it. It was just fantastic. You set up the pike blocks and the fire locks on the side and all the whole, uh, it was just incredible. So uh, again, it looked fantastic. So a Disraeli there, but just to tell yeah. you how fantastic you it, are. It was the, the, the <laughs> best thing I saw at the whole that of salute. that salute. Yeah. Oh, was thanks, the, the English Civil War. Uh, I'll just add, if people want to know what we're all on about, if you go to YouTube, there is a backers channel and I've got some pictures on there. A revolving turntable of, of some of these units so you can get an idea what we're on about but yeah that's that's just something again my initial Bacchus range was for English of Wars because I wanted to do it and I thought it would look really good in six mil so I did it and sod the rest of you if you're not going to buy it it doesn't matter it's mine now uh, but people like doing it in six mils and they've carried on ever since so yeah that's one range which really one period which really suits it because of the pike uh, and then anything 18th century, because it, you've got linear action and six mil is brilliant for linear stuff. So, again, my, my second set of great loves was Spanish Succession and especially Great North War. Um, it just just looks really, really good. And Great North War, you can head up into exotic like poles and you can get proper Polish units, proper big units of winged hussars. Um, they look tremendous, far, far better in terms of mass than you can get with the big figures. So, again, lends itself really well to that. Napoleonics, how can you not do Napoleonics in six? Proper yeah. sized divisions. Yeah, you can fight core actions on a decent sized table. Uh, I mean, like we said before, you've still got room for manoeuvre. That then takes us nicely into one of the single best periods for doing six, uh, six mil with and that's American Civil War. These these battles are massive for the big areas. You can only do it justice by going small. Yeah. So that that's sort of like 17th, 18th, 19th century. Brilliant for doing that. So where does that take us? 20th century, well, straight away into World War One. Yeah, you can do trench raiding in 28, but yeah, it gets boring after a while. To fight big actions, you need small figures because of the sheer size of these battlefields the range of the weapons and, and the scale of action. You've got to go small. So six mil is absolutely best for that. Which then segues well into World War Two. And guess what? Everything we've just said about World War One is there, but on steroids. Plus aircraft. Great. Six mil does it better than anything else. 
what we talked about ancients i mean how can you not do to love falling in love with chariot armies in small scale <laughs> or we talked about it a phalanx which is yeah. actually three four foot wide and 24 ranks deep and this isn't just made up you know there are people who've got model armies like that uh companion cavalry in proper wedges you have the room you have the creativity to be able to do things like that so when i said everything i was joking but at the same time it is i'd, I'd say if the aesthetic of having massed armies is your thing mm-hmm. then i don't think it can be bettered well i, I know something that we we've both thought is when we've painted a six mil army and the first time you put it on the table you look at it and you go you're sort of like quite you're pleased with it or really happy with how it looks but then you think i'd really like to do this the same thing again and just double it in size and just go how big can we go true i did did do that again twice as big megalomania it's amazing how quickly it sets in uh guy will come up to your (laughs) show and say i've only got a three foot table and this looks ideal i'll just buy one of your army packs and the next show I see him at, he goes, I painted it, and he buys two more. <laughs> and he says, I've got a bigger table now. <laughs> you can see where this one's going, can't you? Yeah, before you <laughs> because know it, it's so easy. The gratification guys get, because when you spend your life trying to put corneal highlights on a 28 mil figure and getting the nasal hair the right shade, it's liberating to be able to spend two hours painting and produce two units to spend two weeks painting and you've got your army yeah and it's that instant hit and then thinking well, if i've got one this size what can i do in two months in two months time i've got it this size what can i do and it just sets the mind thinking it sets off the projects and you two are both nodding you know exactly what i mean don't you well we all get these urges you know to to, to get a project and think, oh that seems um well, that's interesting i just read this historical thing that sounds really oh i wonder i could get i could get some six mil you know i could put 40 pounds and then do one side and then another 40 pound next month i can get the other side and and you know it becomes something that is plausible for one person to do over a couple of months whereas if you were looking to do it in 28 mil it'd be like well i could pick up one unit this month <laughs> and it's like you would have to dedicate years to something which essentially is a bit of a whim, mm-hmm. but you can get it done. It, it just makes projects um, achievable yep. for one person to do without having to dedicate money and time, which is something I'm poor in both. <laughs> and also gameable. Yeah. It's like yeah. I've got uh, I've built I've got a Waterloo army that fits in a but I can take it in a sports bag down the club. Yeah, when it's on the table, it needs four people to play because it's you know the two armies each with like thirty battalion a foot in. Yeah, and yet it fits in a bag I can take on the train. Exactly. If that was in twenty-eight mil, I'd need a van. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'm going to quote another story. And again, I've used it before on another podcast, so I apologise to people who've heard this before. Um, I've got a guy who started collecting Franco-Prussian War from me, and his comment when he bought his first lot from me at a show was, "I've tried to do this three times in twenty-eight mil and given up." I'm doing it now because I realise if I do it in six, I can get it done before I die. And he now has two massive armies and he's playing quite happily with them because, like I said, like you said, it's achievable. Do it in small lumps, 
and you can just knock the, those bits out quickly you can work to a project and it's it makes things practical i understand how some people can feel a little bit nervous about painting six mil because it's, it's a different style of painting to 28 mil and if you've been painting 28 mil for 30 years then you know what you're going to be comfortable with doing that and even i still get it where i'm like oh i've got to paint the six mil guys and then i start it and then suddenly i finished it I'm like, oh, I only started this a little while ago and I've done it all this evening in one night while watching the Golden Girls and drinking a <laughs> bottle of Malbec, as I like to say. I've managed to knock out like what would have been, you know, a huge project, you know. I'll do yep. two units of cuirasses and I'll do them in a night and it's done, Yeah, you know. So it's just, I think, um, if I could recommend to the people out there, just honestly, just to give it a try and you'll be surprised. You'll think, oh my gosh, how do I get... The face is a blob of pink where the faces i'm not you know i'm not doing eyeballs on anyone <laughs> yeah. it's liberating In, instead of spending inordinate amounts of time on the tiniest types of detail because you've seen this painted like this in a glossy magazine you're painting to your own standards and you don't have to do that piping all you've got to do is something which is going to stand out at three feet you don't get the exact shade of blue just bang some paint on if it looks right and you've got the contrast, it's great. Make a mistake, don't worry about it, because nobody's going to see it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just getting there and get a practical Wargames unit painted, and it is so, so liberating. No three-shade highlighting, simple block colours. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Especially for things, I think, for things like Napoleonics, which I think are probably the most intimidating thing, I think, for a lot of people to paint, unless yeah. you're doing, like heraldic cavalry and that sort of stuff but you know you're doing the the napoleonics you're not worrying about epaulettes and shirt colors and stuff it's like it's a blob on the it's a blob on the shoulder that's their yeah. epaulette yeah and then what colors the cafe it's a blob on the hand and then a smaller blob for the hand there you go yeah. done yeah, exactly i can i can paint figures that from painting to my wargame standard not my display stand wargame standard it's a figure a minute for infantry and people go, yeah, you no, know, you're just you're just lying to me there to try and sell me metal. No, it's it is as quick as that. And individually, none of them will take any scrutiny. But it isn't the individual; it's that stepping back and looking at the whole, the completed whole, the unit, the brigade, the army, and that's what counts. So yeah, it's not. The problem is, is when people have spent thirty years painting twenty-eight mil figures, they immediately and instinctively and very naturally apply those criteria that they've built up their experience to the small figure so they think they have to paint it in the same way but just in a smaller area and it's breaking that link that's the hardest thing i mean i've, I've been having to do this standing on a trade stand for, for 20 <laughs> odd years um and i still get it i still get people coming over oh, i don't know you paint this just so small i don't have the patience and I get talking to him, and this a guy who said, I don't have patience, will quite happily admit that he takes four hours to paint a single figure. Yeah. And and, and to be honest, I don't have the patience. <laughs> now, we, we have friends, and they're the sort of people who will take a weekend to paint, like, a pair of shoulder pads on Space Marine. Yeah. And it's like, I, I want half a division done in the weekend. I'm painting, not yeah. a shoulder pad. Yeah. No, sure. that's not for everybody some people their 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 hobby their life is is getting the perfect shoulder pad 
and I won't necessarily knock that or detract that. That's what they want to do. But what I have got to do is to say that what I'm offering doesn't have to be the same as that. It doesn't have to be done in the same sort of way. And, And it can actually be a nice accompaniment because it can give you a sense of achievement because you can actually complete something. And then when you want to go back to paint the figures, do that. But so talk, just talk, briefly talking about so like that visual aspect of like when you look at some figures, you know, in painting competitions, that you look at them and sort of, you have to sort of like stop a little bit and go, wow, this is like an, an amazing piece of art. I think the look of those, especially like the, the English Civil War Battalion on those big bases, for me, has exactly that same style, that same type of impact as something that is, you know, Golden Demon, Slayer Sword, whatever, Painting Award quality look, just as, you know, it's amazing what you can do with Tiny Toy Soldiers. That's lovely for you to say, so... Uh, I think um, if, if I a little... I'm actually paid in Peter. Time to say <laughs> okay, that. Fair enough. Yeah, you have your show again. Uh, all I do with the big bases to go back to those is just to try and show what you can do very simply. Um, I mean, to paint a Golden Demon award winner, to paint these, you require talent. I'm, I'm sorry, talent. You you can you can get practice, you can get everything. You practice for thirty years, but if you have not got that inside you, um you're just not going to be up to that level um what i say is anybody can produce a big base like i've done anybody because all it is is just a matter of presentation of some averagely painted figures and they are averagely painted but it's what you do with those to get that effect that counts and it's simple it's it's, there's no rocket science to it honestly and i think you just let people know that I can teach people to paint figures to the level I do for my display cabinet, which are better than my war game stuff. But honestly, it's technique. I'm not a skillful painter, but you learn how to do things in the right way, in, in the right process, in the right sequence. But it's, it's, it's not skill. To, to borrow a quote from, I think it was from Stalin, wasn't it, that uh, uh, quantity has a quality all of its own? Could not agree more. You know, you put out enough six mil models and you're going to be wowed, you know. Yep. It just looks, it just looks, looks great. You get the sweep of the battle, the huge units. It's just, yeah, it's good. Yeah. And as Per Broden showed, when you then go all out on the terrain, you two must have seen his Pult Arbor game. Uh, six mil game, which won best in show at Salute. Yeah. yeah, I'll get that in for Per. That, that's quite an achievement. Yeah. The terrain was absolutely magnificent. The setting for that game just blew you away and that's something else you can achieve by going small is you can get the panoramic vista you cannot get with big ones because you get four or five pieces of beautiful scratch built terrain on a big 28 mil board and your focus is on those and you lose interest i'm thinking like a star fort in english civil war a star fort that's going to take up that's going to be the board yes that's the whole board. It's going to be the staff. Yeah. And yeah, in six mil, it can be a feature. Well, strange. That that's tangential again. That's how I came into all of this. If, if before I started Bacchus, if somebody who knew me said that I was going to do six mil and just make a of like living out of selling the things, that they'd have sort of like completely dismissed it because I, I, all I ever did was 
bit of 15 and 25 as it was in them days it's just on the cusp of going to 28 that's all i ever did uh and through a long and convoluted process i started making some six mil buildings and then the light bulb went on with when i did the six mil buildings and i thought what i've always wanted to do remember i said like the 18th century was 18th century sieges and i'd never found it satisfactory in 28 you couldn't yeah so the first one i produced was uh, a hexagonal trace for a town yeah and that was a light bulb moment that was that, that was road to damascus i suddenly went yes <laughs> think of what i can do here and the rest after that's history Fantastic. but that's right and, and this pentagonal trace was roughly three foot diameter so it was practical to put on a war games table and to play a siege with and yeah as i said just went on from there well, I'll have to have you come on again if you will at some point, Peter, to talk about siege gaming because it's something we've we've talked about before and we're, we're sort of tempted to try, but we're always we're never sure if they actually work well as games or if they just become something which is like you remember playing them but don't necessarily work brilliantly as a game. You, you can get. I mean, I've, I've got a set of siege rules for 18th century which have never really gone beyond me getting them down, but I've played them sometimes. The key to a siege game is the fact that it, it's usually very one-sided. You've got the guys who have been bottled up and they've just got to lob a few stones and hurl a few insults. And all the work has been done by the guys on the outside. Um, with an 18th century siege, it's very formulaic. You, you basically, you, you, you cut channels forward, then you build a parallel. You sight some gun batteries. From those gun batteries and parallel, you, you cut another trench forward, cut another parallel. So creeping further forward towards the walls, then you breach the wall and then you go, are you going to give up? And it's it should like be in Last be, of the Mohicans. Yeah. It should <laughs> be done in X number. <laughs> yeah. But what happens is, if you've got a set of rules which allows the defenders to be proactive, which good defenders were, they can try and delay this. They can launch sorties. They can um, try and get uh, uh, breakthroughs coming in to provide resupplies for the town. So the set of rules has got to allow the defender to uh, actually engage in the game rather than just let all the work and all the fun be had by the attacker. And, and that's what we did. And because we're doing it in six, you could see the development of putting forward the trench sections, cutting forward the communication trenches, sighting the batteries. And then the defender would decide to try and do a sortie, spike guns, uh, slight the batteries, fill in the trenches, nick the shovels, all the sorts of things which they got up to. And that, again, that made for a really, really good game. And then it got meaty at the end because it was assaults and storms. But effectively, all the defender had to do was to delay the final denouement. And the longer they delayed it for, the greater degree of victory they could get. If the attacker could actually shorten the time, again, the amount of time they, they could shorten it, that uh, created the victory for them uh and if it was the exact point when a c should have ended it was a draw that sounds i'm sorry I'm, again tangential again so our listeners love a tangent oh they love it <laughs> so i'm i'm gonna guess here i'm gonna play, i'm gonna play a little game me and tom had a little guess of which which range we think is is your most popular i think it's your napoleonic so how about you tom I'm going to say the Napoleonics or World War Two. Oh, I'm picking two. I'm, go, I'm uh, going to use English. Maybe Romans. Romans are not or Napoleonics. That's what I'm going for. If you're going to pick two, Tom. 
So what is it, Peter? Which is your most popular range? Well, I don't know if I should tell you. I'll leave you on counterhooks. But if you say please. It's War of Spanish Succession. Go on. <laughs> um, you got it, Tom. <laughs> okay. Up until, I'd say this year, um, our biggest selling range, two ranges, would be Napoleonic and American Civil War. Ancients I have to give honourable mention to, but the problem with ancients is it's actually a lot of ranges. Mm. So we sell Romans through to, let's say, early medieval stuff. Uh, individually, none of those sell as well as, say, Napoleonics. Put them together collectively, and it actually, yes, it generates quite a lot of sales. But the two sweet spots would be Napoleonic and American Civil War. But this year's been a bit funny. Uh, Pony Wars has absolutely eclipsed everything. Uh, by a country mile. Uh, I said that earlier. I mean, how long that will last for, I don't know, because it's like one of these things, it will have a popularity and it will fall off because yeah. everyone will have bought what they want to do. Uh, so that's a bit of a strange phenomenon. It's a bit of an outlier. World War Two, however, yeah, is coming up very, very quickly, which is a surprise to us because it's it's not a complete rage by any means. We've a long, long way to go with it. And, and they say there's no American troops in there yet. But the sales that we've had so far have been way beyond expectation. Uh, and again, very gratifying because we put a lot of effort into the range to get it to where it is. Uh, and uh, uh, we've a lot of stuff to come out in that. Covid delayed the development of that range quite considerably uh, for, for various practical reasons. So, yeah, the, uh, normally... Napoleonic and AFCW. Currently, it's all a bit strange. <laughs> and I don't know quite how that's going to pan out. That's really interesting, Em. Thank you for letting us sort of behind the curtain. Yeah, a peek behind the curtain. Because I, I, I just think, you know, I think small scale, I think of like Napoleonics and ancient. So it's good to know that there's, uh, well, as you've explained, it's, it's everything, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been tempted to get involved and get sort of like an IP for one of these, like, you know, do the Game of Thrones or something fancy, or are you just happy to keep doing the actual, you know, the historical ranges? Well, once, when I, when I first started sculpting ancient ranges a long time ago, um, my eldest son was very small and we were talking and I eventually created a fantasy range for him, but he was into Asterix and just as I was sculpting a lot of Celts and Gauls, and he went, you can do Asterix, Dad, you can do Asterix, and I did, and it's actually, I have sculpted Asterix, Getafix, and Obelisk, Obelix, and they're lovely little sculpts for say so myself, they do actually look exactly like they should be able to, and if you take a look at the pictures of the Celts <laughs> on my site, you'll actually see them in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, I have to go and check it. And yeah, I, yeah, I thought, <laughs> A range of Asterix Romans and Celts. I'd love to do that. I had so much fun doing the sculpt thing and the, the, they came out so well. I thought, wouldn't it be marvellous? Because again, when you think about it, if you think about the, the the whole range of Asterix books, they do Spanish, they do Germans, they do, well, British. Uh, they do the lot. And it would be a viable little sort of like DBA range or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, there's, they do very distinctive scenery. All the Roman forts are all basically the same. And I thought, yeah, well, let's go with it. So I did actually contact the organisation that handles the IP, and 
a very helpful lady said that there's a company in Spain has bought all the rights to produce metal miniatures and has been sitting on that for 10 years and has been sitting on it ever since and you cannot get them to they've not produced any but they've just secured the rights uh she approached him on our behalf to say can we sub could sub sublet sublet it or, or whatever uh give permission so they'd get paid and yeah. and the asterix organization were quite happy with that but they said no Weird. so that was still born i'm afraid but that is oh, the one ip i've been tempted to have a go at because i think that i'd still love to do it well it, there's nothing to stop you know the listeners i'm just going and getting some romans and you know some some ghouls and just you know have doing it themselves with Bacchus miniatures anyway. There, there is, but I mean, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, one of these days I'll laugh. When you come to Sheffield to go around our workshop tour, which is before the Joe Six, uh, you both are coming to the workshop tour just before the Joe Six, aren't you? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll show you the figures because we sometimes give them out as freebies when people come to the workshop tour. And you can see why I wouldn't want to just use my ordinary ones. These these look like all right. <laughs> the bees knees. Well, do you have anything else that you'd like to mention, Peter? Well, thank you very much for chatting us with you. you. Know we've kept you for quite a while this evening. Um, not really. I, to be honest, I think probably people tire of listening to me. Uh, As if uh, a little voice has come from next door and. My fiance ah, ah, just gone, ah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Andy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so is there anything uh, coming? Obviously, uh, Joy of Six was a virtual Joy of Six last year. Is that right, if I remember correctly? But it's going it to, yes. hopefully, variants allowing, <laughs> it's going to be a real one this year? Yeah, we have the date booked. It's July the 3rd. Uh, we... Have so I've got confirmation of the booking that's all sorted. Uh, I'm working on a, a web page which will allow people to book games and traders to book stands that should be coming live in the next couple of weeks. And COVID permitting, and nobody knows where that's going, but uh, our plans are for the for the joysticks to go ahead bigger and better than ever before. Uh, the, the demand we, we had to turn games away last year. Well, last time it, it was mm-hmm. due to be put on. We had twice as many traders apply for stands as we've ever had. Uh, we uh, were going to have the Little Wars team. You've come across Little Wars, the, oh, the yeah. American. They're all coming across. We've got That's, visitors from Australia and New Zealand making. The thing is now become worldwide, which is like way beyond anything we'd ever anticipated. Uh, <laughs> this is it's, it's a bit like Frankenstein's monster. Uh, so yeah, we're just going to carry on doing it. We've taken extra room. So yeah, Joy Six will go ahead, bigger and better than ever before. I know, and me and Tom. Sorry, Tom. Go on, no. I know me and Tom have, have spoken about. You no, know, we 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 actually were planning to go, and then the world ended. No, the world yes. came to a grinding halt, unfortunately. <laughs> so I mean, it was on our our calendar that you know that's something that we really want to go to uh, this year. Well, I'll be happy to to have both of you. The thing is, any podcasters tend to become fair game to end up on one of our panels. Just to warn you both. <laughs> happy to help to repay the favour you joined I, us this evening. I offer Thomas tribute. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, if we don't get you one year, we'll get you the next. Well, only if we can go as like a pair, like if it's like, if it's like just if we have to answer the questions together. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which was Laurel? Which one's Hardy? I mean, I, I, I really think I'll have to take the. Uh, really couldn't comment. <laughs> I think I'm the most rotund. Um, before before we finally, absolutely, finally, definitely let you go, I just want to say if any listeners out there want to know more about Six Mill, I know I've before I became a celebrity podcaster, I've certainly emailed Peter. Peter, and I'm, I'm sure it's amongst the thousands of emails you've had, Peter, I've always reached out to Peter, and he's always come back really quickly with any questions I had. So I would encourage anyone at home. Um, if you have any questions, to go and seek out Peter and just email him on, through the website. But do you have any quick tips if anyone just wants to get started? Yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. That, that, that's, that's what I say is, is don't think about it. Just order a single pack or two and do it, because unless you actually have a go, you're going to spend your like, time wondering and putting it off. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to lose. That's what happened with the, the Prussians. I've, I've ordered some Prussians and just got on and just painted them. And they're brilliant. Yeah. That's all it takes. Yeah. If, if, if you've got whimsy for a weird project idea, six mil is perfect for it. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. have to be a massive army. Yeah. Come along and pester me at a show. That, that's that's why I go to a show, is, is to answer people's questions. <laughs> yeah, we're very open, very approachable, very available. Just, just come along and just chat. I promise not to talk down to anybody much. So, Peter, thank you again for joining us you know obviously we're big fans of your products so um and it looks like we're gonna to have to come and be on some panel at joy six now so <laughs> i'll tell the wife peter's told me i have to be on a panel so there we go that's it done uh, but thank you so much for joining us tonight you're most welcome i've enjoyed it thank you very much